This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Today we get to talk about shepherding. And I'm really excited about talking about shepherding for a number of reasons. So, um, uh, one, we get to, we're going to get to invite you to learn from a couple of other men in the church here in a little bit up on screen. They're, they're sitting out in the crowd, but they're going to teach from the, um, from the screen up here in a sec. But we're going to talk about what it looks like, why God would use this metaphor of a shepherd when it came to, first of all, the way that he takes care of us, his flock, and then second of all, what it looks like for us to get to imitate him by shepherding and loving the people of God. And so the first thing I'm going to do is just read a classic passage of Scripture, one that's my favorite and I'm sure will be very familiar to you, but is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me and the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know we just prayed, but I'd like to go ahead and just uh, inquire, inquire as to his presence once more. Hey, Lord, I do thank you for... I thank you for the the two texts that we've just heard. I thank you. Lord, sometimes it's amazing to me that you you seem to, (laughs) there are times, Lord, in in my walk with you, you seem to trust me even more than I trust you um, in, in the sense of the way that your spirit empowers your saints to get to do things that we could never do on our own. And, Lord, forgive me for my, Lack of trust in you often is my shepherd. Forgive us. Forgive us for acting like sheep. But Lord, also thank you. Thank you for the way that you empower us. That you entrust us to lead. And I ask, Father, as I talk about, as I talk through these texts, like the beauty of your word, I ask, Lord, that you will make us people who go beyond just being appreciators of the word of God. It will be beyond people that just listen well, um, pick out good lessons from, from sermons or anything like that. Lord, that you will make us people that insist on reenacting your word. Please, Jesus, in your name, amen, amen. All right, so the 23rd Psalm, classic shepherding passage. Now, one of the questions I want to ask is why, why would God use shepherd as a metaphor? All right, this is now to us that seems pretty natural. If you've grown up, if you've grown up in the context of like the American church, then this is probably pretty normal. Like, okay, I'm a shepherd, like God is our shepherd, he makes pastor shepherds, that's pretty natural. But in this context, to the Jewish people, that would have been a weird, weird word to use. Now, here's why because shepherds, so shepherds we know where they were the very, very first people that came to announce the birth of the Messiah. Now, why would that be strange? Because shepherds were so looked down upon in Jewish society that if you committed a crime and the only person that saw you commit the crime was a shepherd, you would get away with it and there would be no consequence. Because people hated shepherds so much they weren't allowed to speak in court. All right? Now, 
the people that were shepherds back in that day, I mean, they were not only looked down upon, but like they had to hang out with sheep. Okay, now for us, it's like, oh yeah, we're the sheep of this pasture. Here's the thing. Sheep have three primary characteristics. And what you need to understand is that first and foremost, when God calls us his shepherd, or when God, yeah, calls, calls him our shepherd, first of all, that needs to be slightly offensive. Okay, now here's what I mean. Sheep had three things going for them. One, they were completely and utterly dependent. It's a nice way of saying they were dumb, all right, very very dumb. They would wander off. They had no ability to do anything on their own. Completely and utterly dependent. They were also defenseless. All right. They say that like sheep were, I mean, they were so, so far from being able to do anything on their own. If a sheep fell over, then sheep will naturally like rock over on their backs. And if they stay that way for like 10 minutes, they just die. They can't even flip themselves back over, all right? This, they could do nothing on their own. Sheep were, I mean, they were, they're a terrible, terrible animal, okay, as far as like, this is supposed to be very, very offensive. Like, I can't think of any, any animal worse to me, any animal worse than a cat. Can I get an amen? An amen, all right. But the truth be told, cats can actually do a few things. I've had... I've, you know, I've probably interacted with a few thousand cats in my life in some capacity, usually for as limited a period of time as possible because that's the only way that I prefer to interact with cats. But I've had a couple friends, like two, two friends who've had cats that were kind of awesome, all right? And what I mean by kind of awesome is they began to act like dogs. And so I don't know why, which leads us to the obvious, the obvious culmination of this point is like, why would you have a cat when there are dogs available, all right? So... If you have a cat, repent, get rid of it, get a dog. Anyway, but cats can at least do a few things by themselves, all right? They're fairly independent. Sometimes cats are, like, completely independent, like they just go out and roam and do their thing and bring back a mouse every, every now and again just to try to impress you. But, like, sheep, sheep are worse than cats. And there's, I mean, I don't think you understand how, how intense, how intense that, um, that statement I just made is because I hate cats, all right? But sheep are worse because they can't do anything by themselves. Completely dependent upon a shepherd. If they wander off, they're dead. If they roll over, they're dead. If they get too much dirt in their fur, dead. Like, this is a, when God says, I'm your shepherd. I know, I know how you've heard that your whole life. And I'm sorry to ruin some of your favorite passages of scripture. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd. But what he's really saying to you is, hey, I love you like a shepherd, but I also need you to admit you're dumb. (laughs) You're really dumb, and you're defenseless, and you're dirty. Okay, that's it. That's the three things you got going for you. All right, now, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can resolve the damage I've just done to your self-esteem here in a second. But, like, this is important for us to stare at. Because then when God begins to organize His community, the community that's going to reenact the beauty of what he sees, what he wants to see in his people, his flock, as he calls us. He calls the people that he calls to lead shepherds and begins to refer to us as sheep. So if we know that we're sheep, there's got to be a little bit more to this. All right. So one thing that's really wild about, about sheep is they actually only have one natural inherent ability and gift, one thing that they do well. They really are dirty. 
Like, I mean, it's, it's terrible. They're, they're, their fur, because they have so much wool, it like, it just kind of takes in dirt all the time. The, the sheep that they were thinking of at this time were sheep in the Middle East, all right? And you, we often hear this, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't know, has anybody gotten to go to the Middle East? Anybody been to Israel, the Holy Land, a few of you? It's amazing. It's amazing. But if you go to look at the beautiful green grasses, you're going to be very disappointed because it's arid. All right, it is desert. So these sheep, these sheep weren't just like, this isn't when God says, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures, I think of lush grasses. I immediately think, oh, God's going to let me be a sheep in Ireland. But he's not talking about that. You do not get to be Irish sheep. You get to be Middle Eastern sheep. And Middle Eastern sheep, it's important, though. It's important because when the shepherd would lead a sheep around the Middle East, what they were doing is, they weren't going from grassy area to grassy area. They're going from desert to desert. And what would happen is, strategically, the shepherd knew the time that the dew would be remaining on the rocks and on the little bit of growth that would be in the ground. And he would very, very intentionally, at specific and strategic times, take his sheep out when he knew there would be some dew on the grass and on the rocks. And there would be a, just a little bit of growth so that they would have some sustenance. But the one thing that you could never do with a green pasture, was eat there twice. Interesting, isn't it? When I think of a field, I think, oh, man, that's a place like you kind of go and you hang out and that's where you live. No, these are nomadic sheep. The sheep in the Middle East were always going from place to place, and they depended on their shepherd to guide them to where they would go. The one thing that we know about green pastures, the one thing that we know, if you're a sheep and you're eating from a green pasture, it's because your shepherd brought you there. All right? So they're needy. They're dumb. They have no hope of being independent. They're completely defenseless. Cats at least have claws. Sheep have hooves that they have an inability to actually lift off the ground. All right? So, like, I mean, this is, there's nothing. There's nothing. Like, the best, this is the best defense. When a sheep gets in a fight, this is it. This is all they have to go on, all right? Cats can claw. Dogs can at least bark. You know, roly-polies can curl up and do a ball. Sheep can do this. Bah. What? That's actually fairly pleasant. It's like, oh, not only do I get to attack a sheep, then it also makes a pleasant noise in response. Like, no, they've got nothing. They're defenseless. The only hope a sheep has is this they have a good shepherd. The only hope they got. They're defenseless, they're dirty, and they're dumb. And sheep have one superpower. When shepherds would gather around, they'd all kind of, um, they sort of did life in like a loose community, especially in the Middle Eastern culture they were writing to. And there would have been a lot of different sheep in different places. And each shepherd knew their sheep. They didn't have to have numbers on them. They didn't have to brand a sheep. Sheep don't have to be branded because the sheep know who their shepherd is. And what a sheep would do is when the shepherd would stand up and he would go out for the day to graze so he could take them to green pastures, so he could take them to a place where they could find sustenance and food, he would just call out. And the sheep would know the voice of their shepherd so well that they could not be deceived by another voice. So sheep are defenseless. They are dumb and they are dirty. And sheep have one superpower. They know the voice of their shepherd. They know it so well 
that when they hear other voices that try to impersonate and imitate their shepherd, they're not fooled. So, take offense. God calls you sheep. He means for you to understand. You and I, dumb, dirty, and defenseless. But we have one potential superpower. To know the voice of our shepherd. To know it so well that when other people come to impersonate him, it doesn't work on us. The 23rd Psalm. I love getting to lean into what it means for me to first of all recognize that I'm that, that I'm sheep. All right. I, I remember, um, you know, I've been, I guess I've been on some sort of pastoral staff now for, oh, 18 years of my life. All right. And I'm, I'll be 38 next month. Okay. So I've been on staff for almost, I, I've been working in churches for almost half of my life now, which is pretty awesome. And I remember, I remember when I first began to like kind of take over some, you know, responsibility in church communities and stuff. It was a was a little daunting for me, especially when I was younger. And, you know, even now it's like as I've, as I've gotten to lean into, man, what does it look like to shepherd the flock? What does it look like to, to fall so in love with the good shepherd that I find myself imitating in the ways to get to shepherd his flock, all those things? And I remember it was pretty, it was pretty daunting to me. And one of the first words that I was praying one day, and I had this thought run through my mind that I could tell was far too intelligent to be my own. And when that happens, I usually blame God for them. And I had this thought, it's, Kurt, I have no use for a shepherd who's not a sheep first. And I realized the only shot I ever had at be, being a decent pastor, minister, shepherd, whatever you want to call it, the only chance I had is being a man who leans into my one superpower. That's to hear the voice of my Father. And the more I've gotten to dive into falling in love with the Word of God and seeing what He intends for His people and His flock, I realized... Guys, that, that's all of us. That's not because I'm like a pastoral staff person of the church. One of my favorite examples of this, I, I love, I get to, um, I try to go over about once a week and I get to um, work out with Eli Wallace. And I remember one day um, we were hanging out in his garage and we were, we were working out. And Eli is like one of these guys who is like sneaky beast in the gym. All right, you see him and you think, oh yeah, like a pretty fit guy, but you know, just like a, a nice suburban dad. And then then he gets in the weight room, and he just is like throwing up big weight. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you're menacing. You know, so we, we go over there, and I thought, man, I, I, want, I want that to be true of me because it's very much not. And so we started hanging out about once a week and in his weight room. And I remember being in there one day and talking to his daughter came out. Evelyn was, and we were talking, and she was just talking about her life and her friendships and talking about her little sisters. And I remember us having this discussion about what it looked like for her to be a shepherdess, how she could be a shepherdess over her little sisters, and how God had, had, had put her in this beautifully unique place to be the oldest of four daughters in that home, and that they had, they had this amazing, amazing man that got to shepherd their home, and Eli and their dad, who models shepherding about as well as any man I've seen in my life, and then to see that reproduced in his daughter, you know, who then loves her little sisters and gets to lead them. And there's a, there's a Bible study that happens here at Commonwealth City Church that a few of you may be in, but most of you are not allowed. Um, it's, and I can't remember the name of it, but is Granny Pam in here? Is she in Kids Church today? Starry Clusters. The Starry Clusters Bible study was started by a 10-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl named Eliana. 
And her little sister, Alora, helps co-lead Starry Clusters with her. And it is a Bible study that's only for the little girls in our church. Yes, ma'am. Star Cluster. Okay, not plural. Thank you. Thank you. See, and this is a perfect example that even the shepherds need to be shepherded sometimes. You know what I mean? Amen. Amen. So Starry Cluster. It's a Bible study that that name is based upon a ministry that was begun in India by a woman named Amy Carmichael who um, got to raise up and disciple little girls. And when, when some of the little girls at Commonwealth read about that, they were compelled by the Spirit to say, hey, I think God is not just calling us to be young people that somebody pours into and that we get to learn, but he also is calling us to shepherd. And so 10-year-old Eliana, who is my niece, by the way, Eliana starts his Bible study. And then her little sister, Laura, goes to it and says, man, that was really beautiful. I, w- I want to be part of that. And now they co-lead it, and they switch off every other time, leading and teaching this 8-year-old and 10-year-old sisters, the, small, the young girls in the church. And I say that for two reasons. One, because it's really, really flipping cute, all right? That's super cute, all right? They got this cute little name, Star Cluster. But, like, also to be convicting because, guys, you sit in here on Sundays, and there are 8-year-olds that are taking the initiative to say, hey, God is doing a work in me that has to reproduce. And so for some of us, some of us, it's important for us to say, oh, man, are there, are there places? Are there places where I've just been content, content to be somebody who just kind of receives, which is, which is awesome. It's great to be somebody who receives. But to make sure, even just kind of coinciding with what Andrew talked about last week, God is never going to do a work in you so small that he does not give you something to give away. He is going to make you somebody who reproduces. And I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know if you were like, man, I don't know if you, if the Lord did a work in your heart this morning and you gave your heart to Jesus before you got here today and you've been a believer for one hour, I've got amazing news for you. God is calling you to shepherd somewhere, somehow, in some way. And I don't know if you've been a believer for 40 years and maybe you've not gotten to take that initiative to see what God wants to do in and through you. And I encourage you to lean into him and say, Father, how do I get to imitate you in this way? Because what God is doing in you, he's never going to do so small a work in you that it only blesses you. He's always going to do enough in you to have something to give away. We've talked about sheep, and I want to talk about a shepherd. One thing that we can know about a shepherd, a shepherd always takes care. He does not take from, and he does not take off. All right? That's the distinctions of a shepherd. We see Jesus begin to specify between shepherds and hired hands in John chapter 10. And the thing that we notice about a hired hand is a hired hand will take off when the enemy comes. And like we said, when a, when a hired hand takes off, sheep are defenseless and so they die. A hired hand will take off. And it talks about when we see, when we see Peter address the shepherds of the flock in First Peter chapter 5. He begins to talk to them about what it means to make sure that you're not somebody who's a shepherd for gain. That you don't look at people and think, what can I get from them? So a shepherd does not take from, and a shepherd does not take off. A shepherd takes care. That's a distinction of a shepherd. We look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
we get to see what it means. I wanted, I wanted us to see a few things. I wanted to see, first of all, what a sheep is. And then I want us to get to look at the good shepherd. And the good shepherd who takes care of his flock. And ultimately, guys, any shepherding that happens this side of eternity needs to be done just by simply staring at the model of the good shepherd and imitating his way of life. Ephesians chapter 4 that was read to us earlier, it talks about the way that God has organized his church. It says that he set up a few different leadership positions, all right? And they're kind of they're unique, and a lot of people have very, very different perspectives on all of these, all right? There. It says that he has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Um, some people will say, and some interpretations will have, like, pastor or elder. One thing that's good to know, the word, um, the word that, like, recognizes a pastor in the Bible, it's... It can be interpreted as pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd. They're all the same word. It's all the same word. So we sometimes you'll hear people like use certain titles and all. Like in the Bible, it's all one Greek word. We just came up with like five different expressions of it in the English language. It's all the same thing. So when he talks about us being apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, what he's saying, well, the way we've taught this at Commonwealth that I've really loved has been super encouraging to me. Is that like when we, when the way that God has organized his people and his flock to be shepherded well, you got these five different perspectives, okay? And we won't get too far into kind of di- deep diving into this, um, into this part of the passage. I want to talk about what comes after it. But when you, somebody who's apostolic, that's somebody who's like kind of got this almost entrepreneurial sort of perspective. Or like we always want to go forward like more and new and we want to pioneer with the spirit of God. And you got the prophet who's just going to, like, tell the truth no matter what, all right? But every good prophet needs a good shepherd. Because what happens with prophets is somebody who, like, speaks the truth, even sometimes they speak the truth in love, there's going to be something left in their wake. And the shepherd's the one who comes in and says, oh, I want to I take care. I want to make sure that people are well taken care of and well looked after. And we don't run ahead at the expense of taking care of the people that might be lagging behind. The evangelist is the person that says, whatever we're doing, it's great that we take care of the flock that God has given us, but we cannot leave out the loss that we don't see. We want heaven to be a more crowded place because of what we do as a community of believers and saints. All right? And the last one's the teachers, the ones who say, hey, that's great that we're moving. That's great that we're, that we're taking time to make sure that the lost, the lost are loved, that the sheep are taken care of, but we need to prioritize the word of God. So there's these different perspectives that all get to come together. And the thing is, all five of those are attention to the others. We taught this the first time. I put five sets of glasses up here on stage on a table. And I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if anybody else has done this, but anybody's mom or grandma, like, have reading glasses, like the readers? And when I was a little kid, I'd, like, pick them up and put them on. And after about three seconds, I had a headache. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's the way it is for these different perspectives. But we need these different perspectives. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of nobody. Like, it's the beauty of the way that God has given gifts to the body of Christ, so there's a multiplicity of perspectives. Now, what that also means is that when one lens is given ultimate priority and leadership, there's going to be problems. Commonwealth City Church, I think in three weeks, we're going to turn four years old, which is awesome, all right? 
four years that we've been. You know, Commonwealth City was two churches before it was. Uh, there was another church called Commonwealth City Church 1.0 that met down in Irish Town. There was Thoroughbred Community Church that met down off Tate's Creek Road. And we have both done community life in really, really beautiful and deep ways for a long time. And uh, I was uh, I was pastoring Thoroughbred. Andrew was pastoring, pastoring Commonwealth. And we got together. We were praying for one another and loving each other. Our communities were beginning to do things together. And one day we were just praying and had this thought like, hey, will we do more damage to the kingdom of darkness together or separately? And our simple conclusion was together. And so we began to pursue that, pray towards that end, and the Lord allowed that to culminate in meeting here four years ago for the first time as a new community. And it's been beautiful. But the one thing that Andrew and I realized pretty quickly, it was we're these two like co-pastors coming in, you know, both young dudes in our mid-30s, you know, both really excited about doing ministry, have a passion and a heart to see the university reach, to see the city reach, to see unity wake up in the body of Christ. A lot of really good and great things. But we quickly realized that we as two men leading this thing, that, that was not going to be very healthy for two young leaders. And began to say, Lord, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want to see happen in our community? How do we have a healthy model of leadership, a healthy structure? So I looked around, and I see most churches that kind of seem like they have a hierarchy that looks similar to a lot of business organizations. There's, you know, kind of got like a CEO leadership. you got people with varying levels of leadership that kind of trickle down. And the more I read the Word of God, it was like this, I don't think this is the way that the, this does not seem to be what the Bible intended. It seems like it's more a mirror of the world than it is a mirror of the text. And we began to pray and say, Lord, how would you have us respond to this? One of the questions that, as leaders, we've always asked at Commonwealth, try to consistently always have before us is, if Jesus planted a church at the University of Kentucky, what would his church look like? And I don't know, but I know it would be really, really cool. And I know it would be way cooler than my church. And so I'm like, Lord, I want, I want the churches that I attend, I want the way that I posture my life in community to always have a posture of repentance, to say, Lord, Anything that you would do, we trust your leading. We trust that your ideas, that your, that your creativity is far superior to ours. So how can we posture ourselves in a place of repentance to do everything we know to do to mirror the church that you dream of? And so with that in mind, we began to ask the Lord, how would that look? And we got to, the Lord did a really unique thing. And now Commonwealth City Church is not led by a couple of pastors. It's led by a group of six men that are, we call ourselves the elders of Commonwealth City Church. Six men who all have equal authority, who are pastors, who are shepherds. Heck, you can even call us bishops if you want. It's the same word in Greek, all right? But like we are all leaders together in the context of this local body. And I'm telling you guys, as a young man in ministry, it has been such a gift, such a gift to take away some of that responsibility, some of the danger of wanting to drive a ministry around the personality of its leaders. There's just, a, there's a danger in that because the sad thing is oftentimes it works. It works and it grows organizations and it brings more people in and it brings more money in and it brings bigger buildings and it's one of the worst things that could often happen to an organization. And so we said, Lord, what does it look like for us to model your word in the way that we structure our leadership? 
I want to kind of give you a quick rundown of how that looks. I'm going to let Steve and Adam talk to you, and then we're going to talk about the ultimate culmination of what shepherding looks like in the kingdom of God for your sake and mine. We have six leaders, six elders in our, in our community. Two of those men are retired pastors in essence. All right? They are men who got to walk through life in, as Southern Baptist preachers and ministers of the gospel, both of them for more than 30 years. In different contexts, as senior pastors, as leaders in other capacities in, in churches and organizations. And the Lord sent both of them here as an incredible gift to offer us wisdom and perspective. That was not planned. We didn't mean to happen to have two men that God had just done all this deep root work to be a blessing to our community, but he gave them to us as a gift. And that's Steve Moore and Butch Vernon. That is, that's my dad. He's in my phone as Reverend Butthead. Um, he actually he loves to be called that, so if you see him, feel free. Um, we, also, we also have two other men that get to be elders in our community. One is Adam Braun and the other Brian Basileri. And both of these men are marketplace evangelists. Adam, Adam is a doctor. Well, he is a dermatologist that, you know, I guess the verdict's still on whether it's a real doctor or not. Am I right? Am I right? Just kidding. Just kidding. Dr. Braun back there. Brian Vassalieri works at Lexmark, has for years. And both of them, both of them constantly, not, don't just go to work, but they shepherd in the context God has called them to. And then there's two men in this community that get to spend our nine to five working hours every day getting to do the work of shepherding, getting to do the things I, I tell people all the time. I get to do for pay what every other Christian has to do for free. Yeah, I pray for a living. It's awesome. And that's Andrew Eaton and myself. And, guys, it's been beautiful to see, as I, even as I was kind of taking, you know, just taking inventory of what the Lord's done here and how he's done this work, I realized, man, what a gift. What a gift. We didn't plan at the beginning to say, you know what we need is two marketplace missionaries, two older men with lots of experience, and then two guys who are younger and get to be full-time. No, the Lord just set all this up in such a way, not just to be a gift to us as leaders, but more than anything else, guys, because he loves you. Because he loves, he loves the flock of God. And he loves what it means to organize a community in such a way that there's protection, that there's checks and balances, that there's accountability. So today we're talking about shepherding, which I know is a little bit different probably than like your usual sermon you're going to hear on a Sunday in here for sure. Um, but I'm going to let Steve and Adam kind of share with you some of their journey of shepherding, and then we're going to finish off with just two phrases from Ephesians chapter 4. So I just see shepherding as an amazing like reality that the God who is not served by human hands as though he needed anything has been pleased to uh, arrange his church in such a way that he calls and appoints men who are fallible, who are first and foremost sheep, you know, to the great shepherd and uh, builds them up in a way that enables them to just be under shepherds and kind of overseers of his flock while also being sheep. Like that's an amazing reality, mind blowing in a way that he would do it that way because he could do it any way that he saw fit. But in doing so, 
He just engages us with purpose, all of us, like not only us as shepherds, but that, you know, we all operate in some form or function similar to him because we're made in his image. And so I just think it's a good, perfect picture of that uh, for all of us as we look to him. You know, when I think about the, um, the role of a shepherd and what they do, I, I really think of it a very more personal and uh, personal interaction between one person to the next. It could be from one person to a body, to a group of believers. Um, but um, I believe more of just this interaction as, as I walk with somebody um, and allow for encouragement and allow for um, um, help and times that um, are good or times that are bad, um, and helping someone in the hurts, habits, and hangups of life. Um, and I think that it's a part of helping bring um, function to dysfunction. I think sin is probably the greatest example of dysfunction, and we're all dysfunctional. Um, and that's what Jesus does as he shepherds us, is that he then brings um, value and function and truth and and um, himself, uh, and so I think as us, I think Francis Chan put this pretty well, and he said um, we're pretty much glorified um, um, receptionist. <laughs> so, so what you have is is to say, oh, you want to talk to God? Right, let me let me have how to do that. <laughs> and so, really, it's just helping people to connect to the gospel and helping people to connect to the good news of who Jesus is, um, and then applying that to their lives and 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 growing in that. Yeah. Well, I, it's. I think that, you know, for for me. I, in my own walk with the Lord, I have been like one who has tasted and seen Psalm 23 and known that it's good. Like, as Jesus has been my good shepherd and has, you know, uh, caused me not to lack anything and led me beside still waters and restored my soul and led me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Like, as I've continually tasted and seen that, it's become this just all important thing to me to uh, to be able to in some way just guide the all the other sheep that I can to him as the as the great shepherd and the good shepherd you know so for me personally like as the recipient like I think about when Paul said you know I've taken hold of it because Jesus has taken hold of me talking about something different it's like I have been shepherded and therefore he is like been pleased and called me and delighted me to want to shepherd others okay <laughs> because i have been shepherded and because obviously jesus being the good shepherd and but also he has brought individuals into my life and many different individuals that have helped me in my moment of need or in my time of celebration or whatever that may be um, and so whether that might be a, a friend or it may be my wife who helps shepherd me in that moment or sometimes a child um, but is, or um, fellow elders or a mentor, John Withers, or a friend or whoever that may be so that then um, they say uh, what is on their heart in that moment that truly helps guide, um, at least by the Holy Spirit, the, that which needs to, God wants to accomplish. Yeah, I would say there are two main ways for that. Um, the first is is just how over the last several years, 
um, I've been like the recipient of the shepherding of the men who are already, you know, called to the office. Um, just you all pouring into me in so many different unique ways. I get to see how the Lord has used you to strengthen me, to encourage me, to exhort me. And it's just been uh, just really vision shaping as I see God working through you to, to encourage me and build me up and point me to him. And so that's, that's been foundational. But the second way has been just like being a part of this, this family and seeing the Holy Spirit move in so many different people as I've gotten to see over the last couple of years, it has been like so helpful to, to crush the temptation for me to like focus on self and what I can do, you know, because I realize that like the Holy Spirit is just actively moving, drawing people to himself. And so now all I, all I need to do is just abide in the vine of Jesus, position myself in the current of his flow of grace as I kind of like just get swept away with it and see what he's doing, you know, and go along with it. And so that's been just, I think those two things, like just how the elders have already poured into me and kind of given me a, just a healthy vision of what eldership is like um, as men seek to savor God you know, and, and point others to him. And then the rest of the, you know, the body, just how the spirit is just leading and guiding and driving. It, it takes all the focus off of me. And so. Hmm. I'd have to say that Commonwealth is probably one of the most vibrant communities, spiritual communities I've ever been a part of. And so for me, it has been life-giving. And so it has been such a joy uh, to be a part of, of a group of individuals that do life together. And so, in fact, it was kind of a discussion between Beth and I is that um, there was the phrase of do life together. And I said, oh, okay, but how? <laughs> you know, because many times doing life together is come and show yourself on Sunday morning and sit there and wait for somebody to, to entertain you. Um, and that's some people's concept. And so um, I have to be honest is that um, in my over 30 years of ministry, part of that has been a part of a multi-staff and I was this um, senior pastor of that multi-staff. Um, and so um, what happened though was in that process, I began to learn of what it looks like pastoring in that setting and it's very different. And the reason being is because so many people look to that one individual to be their pastor and it's impossible. And so then it becomes very burdensome um, and also very demanding. And, but also I think in some ways dysfunctional because uh, that is the, a setting by which sometimes individuals can then actually become a bottleneck to good ministry and to good shepherding. And so therefore a plurality of elders, which we have at Commonwealth is a beautiful thing because uh, not one person can do it all. Um, but actually, not even six people can do it all. It really does get to something much better than that. Um, now, the Ephesian passage talks about there are some that are set aside specifically to lead in that way. And that's beautiful, and that's wonderful. But I think that what Christ really wants us to do is to understand is, um, is that we have an opportunity to shepherd um, in not only um, official capacity, but also unofficial. And I have to say is that sometimes some of the most 
pastoral and pastoring I've ever done has not been as someone was calling me pastor. So um, Commonwealth has shown me a really beautiful picture. Not perfect, you know, but beautiful in the way of many people shepherding many people. Yeah, the one I thought about a lot, the one that I could focus the most on would be um, 2 Corinthians one twenty four, where Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he, he concludes his first chapter by saying, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. And that's just been so crucial for me because I think our goal as elders is just that the flock that we're overseeing is presented mature and it stands firm in the faith, you know? And so like the all roads to firm standing faith run through the super highway of joy in my mind. Like as they're delighting and enjoying in in all that God is for them in Jesus, like firm strengthening roots dive down, you know, to to create just um well you know, well growing, well watered, mature um, Christians and, uh, and the lost will be saved by joy and, um, by joy and all that he is. And so, but then like the first part of that, like just Paul reminding me of what Jesus said in Matthew 20, where he said, you know, every other earthly kingdom and every other potentially religious system operates in this way that the Gentiles lord it over, you know, their subjects, but it won't be that way among you because who would ever be great must be servant. And for the Son of Man came to not to be served, but to serve. So it just like brings me into this humble, low state, which is where I need to be, um, you know, as I, as I consider partnering with people for their joy um, so that they would stand firm in the faith. But I think that in Psalm 23, it is a beautiful picture of Jesus handing off and handing down something for us, to each one of us, to take away and say, how can I live out the gospel in the midst of my daily life? And so that no matter who comes across my path, um, that, for example, just yesterday, I shared my story with them, a, somebody who is um, a repairman, and was able to share with them, and they and I got a chance to pray with them, and they really appreciated the opportunity just to have a conversation about God. And so um, it really is a bit as our paths cross, and in those beautiful moments in which God wants to use us. And so it could be where I am helping someone find some grass. It could be where I'm forced to find some grass. Um, like COVID, <laughs> it was forced us uh, to made us to lie down in, in green pastures. Um, or it could be um, any given situation where my hurts, habits, and hangups that I have learned from in the past can be an example of for someone else what not to do. And, um, but also maybe here's some encouragements from the scriptures of what you can do. Because I think it's really important to keep pointing back to the good shepherd. I'd, I'd hate for somebody to walk away with Steve's story and not have heard Jesus' story. Because then, uh, really, in all these stories, Jesus needs to be the hero. I shouldn't be the hero. Because ultimately, it's his strength. 
But one of the things that I love about Psalm 23 is just some of the pictures of, for example, uh, leading beside quiet or still waters. And I've used this before in my own life is when there is still water, um, and this is one of the things that sheep don't drink from running water, um, that, has, that is rippling and that is chaotic. Um, they want to be able to step over water that is still. And so if you step over water that is still, um, you can actually see your reflection. And so still water moments are those moments that cause us to pause and stop and to contemplate and to say, okay, um, what am I supposed to do? And so those still water moments might be at a time of death or it might be at a time of crisis or it might be at a time of whatever. But then in those moments is what reflection do we see? And my prayer is that, that I see Jesus, but it could be the, the, what's been the biggest influence in my heart and life in that time. Um, so if I am ingesting a bunch of videos, then many times my reflection could look like those. Or if I'm, um, I'm doing a lot of um, hard work and it's all by myself, then I could be very lonely and it could look like that. But those still water moments, I think, are helpful just to be able to sit back and say, okay, what's my reflection? And hopefully it comes back to seeing the Good Shepherd because that's where I want to spend my time. So I got two, two responses. One to those of you who are in love with Jesus. Just the commissioning from Ephesians chapter 4. He gives these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's the beauty about our good shepherd. All right. He may call us sheep, and that may be slightly offensive. But the wild thing is, is he's so good at shepherding us. He's so good at being the good shepherd of your souls that what he promises to do is make you into a man or woman who looks more like him every day. To grow up into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. I found one of the most radical shifts that's happened in my thinking about the beauty of the gospel in the past couple of years. The cross, Jesus giving his life on my behalf for the sins that I committed at the cross. Raising from the dead from a grave I would have been stuck in forever. One of the most beautiful things I've gotten to reflect on the past couple of years is the fact that he, he didn't just intend for me to appreciate that. He intended for me to replicate it. So if you're here and you love Jesus with all your heart, ask him today. Say, Lord, where are you calling me to shepherd? Because the reason he gives these gifts are so that you will be equipped for the work of ministry. Like the thing that I love about Commonwealth City Church being, and, and now here's the thing. We're, we're talking about Commonwealth City because that's where we're at and that's the, the story that we've uniquely gotten to kind of see up close and personal. But I'm praying. There's like 400 churches in central Kentucky. Even down here at the altar this morning, we're praying, Lord, I pray that you're doing something in every one of them, that you're doing a work in them that will be far greater than anything they could achieve on their own. And there are probably places that do this better and with a lot more efficiency. But as we begin to reflect the Good Shepherd, Guys, one thing that I love is that I'm trusting increasingly we walk in here on Sundays not as like not into a church plant on a college campus, but as a gathering 
of a couple hundred church planters that are going to walk out here the other 167 hours of our week, and we're going to let the good shepherd shepherd us and to become people that reproduce the life of Jesus, that replicate the beauty of the gospel. Now, to those of you who are in here and you, and you don't know him or you haven't learned to love him yet, I've got the most incredible invitation that you can be shepherded. Acts chapter 20 says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. For those of you in here, and honestly this applies to lost and saved alike, regardless of where you're at, the good shepherd loves you so much that he came down to this earth and became a sacrificial lamb to lay down his life, to die in your place, to take the punishment and the consequences that you deserved, to give us the opportunity to not just appreciate who he is, but to live in such a way that by the power of his spirit we begin to reflect him. And invite the band up. We're going to get to celebrate communion. And as we do, I just want to invite you and just to reflect for a bit. Get before the Father. We've got this, these stairs down here and kind of comfy carpets. If you want to come down here and go to your knees or you can do that in your chair or whatever. But I'd love for you to reflect. And first of all, just ask the Lord a couple simple things. Say, Lord, remind me of the places that you shepherded me. And may those reminders compel me to praise. And then second, begin to ask him. Say, Lord, where are the places that you have called me to step up? to step up into a place where I become a shepherd that reflects the good shepherd. Jesus, I thank you for today. I'm grateful for, Lord, you know, honestly, even just diving into these simple lessons of being reminded of the way that you shepherded me, it always does have that same effect that it just makes me grateful and it makes me want to worship. And I ask that even as we get to do that in the form of um, melodic prayers right now and singing songs to you, I just ask that you will that you will do a work in us that does not stop at the end of a service. Like you remind me all the time, 1231, one of the most important moments of my week. It's when we get to decide whether or not we had a really good Sunday morning on um, starting at 11 or whether or not you're going to do a work in us. You're going to do a work in us that allows us to take the text and the beauty of your word and to bring it to life. Father, for those who are in here that don't know you, I ask you, give them the greatest gift right now. Give them the gift of conviction. Conviction of sin. Conviction of distance from you. Lord, please give us that one great superpower that sheep are capable of having. and Give us the ability to hear your voice. Give us the ability to hear your voice with clarity. To live with ears wide open. It's in your name.